Dateline, 19th of January, 2015. Well, good day, folks, and welcome to the Australia Desk for episode 333. Well, geez, Grant, you look a bit tired. What you, you've been busy, mate. Yeah, I've been a little busy at work, mate. Uh, you know, had my uh, CASA panel interview and managed to pass that. So I'm now uh, accepted to perform a lot of the uh, maintenance management, things like that, for a few air operators. But I'm not the only one looking tired. I don't remember you getting up to CASA and all that kind of stuff. How come you're tired? No, in fact, um, I was out living the high life yesterday with... Uh, Max Flight's favourite Australian, the infrequent flyer himself, Anthony Simmons. And I think I may have drunk a little bit too much red wine as we... Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on a second. Steve, you barely drink two light, you know, low alcohol beers. What are you doing drinking red wine? It was free. I'm Dutch. Oh, no wonder you got a hangover. Yes, yes. We were out at the Melbourne Cricket Ground yesterday in the Members Reserve in the, oh. the sporting capital of the universe. I tell you, it was oh, wonderful. Bloody. Oh, it's only the Melbourne cricket ground. I mean, the MCG. Jeez, come on, man. All I can tell you is that uh, Max's favourite Australian was absolutely in his element. It was uh, a sight of wonder to watch. Anyway, Grant, a sight of wonder to watch. A Qantas 767's flying. You know, Grant, I thought they'd been retired. There's a few of them been flying around our skies from all these reports I see here in AustralianAviation.com.au. Well, you'd be right there, mate. But remember, these are the de-identified Qantas ones. You know, they only have a big red tail. And you can just make out the faint outline of where there used to be a kangaroo and all the Qantas logos are gone and these are those repositioning flights that were going on last week well they're still continuing and uh, another two 767s have flown out to uh, Alice Springs to go and join their mate over in the graveyard yeah, it's funny, Grant, uh, looking at these pictures here, um, that kangaroo looks like a lot of other kangaroos I see up here on the highways. It looks like roadkill. But anyway. Oh, well, as we reported a couple of weeks ago, Steve, uh, the first of the ex-Qantas 767s uh, wound up at the Alice Springs Boneyard and another two have gone to join it, these two being VHOGM, Oscar Golf Mike, and Oscar Golf Uniform. So now a grand total of three red tails parked at Alice Springs. Well, there's some interesting aircraft going into Alice Springs, Grant, but uh, although the plane spotters might be interested to look at those now former Qantas aircraft, there's actually an Antonov 74 that's uh, made an unscheduled stop at Alice Springs. And um, I'll tell you what, Grant, a very, very weird-looking aircraft. <laughs> and uh, from all reports, it ain't going anywhere right in a hurry. Maybe they'll park it in the boneyard. I hope not, mate, because it's a very funky aircraft. The uh, Antonov 74-200, it's the one with the uh, turbojet engine mounted on the shoulder of the wing so they're actually above the wing just near the uh, wing route which itself is mounted on the top of the fuselage not a huge aircraft by any uh, stretch of the imagination but uh, apparently it was doing a uh, cargo run and uh, coming in on a diplomatic mission from Kuala Lumpur landing in Broome and then heading on to Canberra and on the way back from Canberra to Jakarta it uh, stopped off at Alice Springs and uh, unfortunately went unserviceable and the rumours uh, as per the comment on the page uh, that uh, it's a bit of an engine problem and that a bucket of fuel drained from the engine looked like metallic paint. So it sounds like something may have fragged itself in there. Yeah, or, or also the other comment that was there from uh, Red Baron. I'm pretty sure I know who that is, actually. Is this ran out of vodka? He might be right. <laughs> he could very well be right. Indeed. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that aircraft does get repaired and head out because we'd love to see it come back and get some more photos of it in the air. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Grant, uh, something else that's going to be getting into the air very shortly across the Tasman over in New Zealand and here we go again another case of those pesky Kiwis making something work that we couldn't looks like some super sea sprites that were originally going to be ours and now theirs correct mate uh, we've been reporting on this over the past few years uh, the Kiwis currently operate a set of five SH2G 
Sea Sprites, and uh, they've been running them for a number of years. Uh, they were purchased new. They've been operated very heavily, and uh, they're currently having a reliability and availability issues due to uh, the difficulty in getting spares for some of the onboard components and avionics and so on, and uh, also just the general airframe life. So as we reported a while back, uh, Australia sold 10 of their Super Sea Sprites onto New Zealand, and they've been taken back by command. And they've been refurbished and they're going back out to New Zealand. So even though these airframes are actually older than the ones the Kiwis are currently operating, the refurbishment means that they're almost but not quite entirely zero-timed and they're available to fly out until 2030. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, looking at this article here that we see in verticalmag.com's talking all about that. And uh, I thought that was the most interesting thing, Grant, because the, the ones that the Australian government bought, which were refurbed 60s versions of US Navy uh, aircraft, they could never make them work, if you remember from reports that we'd done a few years ago. And uh, in 2008, that uh, rather expensive program was cancelled and they actually never flew, really, in operational service for the Royal Australian Navy. But uh, the, the the aircraft that are being replaced and on sold to Peru over there in the Royal New Zealand Navy, uh, they're actually sort of 2001 to 2003 build aircraft. So as Grant said, a lot newer, but um, you know the refurbed ones, well, were virtually brand new anyway. So there you go. The Aussies tried to uh, make these Sea Sprites a two-person operation instead of three as the Kiwis operate them. And uh, unfortunately, there was massive problems with the software project, uh, big delays, a number of hassles with flight control systems and trying to make everything work with only two crew. And the Aussies just eventually shut the whole project down due to massive overruns, uh, came and took the aircraft back, continued to develop them a little, but also reverted them back to a three-person crew. And lo and behold, they work. So uh, out of interest, Steve, the aircraft are actually operated by the Royal New Zealand Air Force on the Royal New Zealand Navy ships. There you go. All right, no worries. Well, moving on, Grant, um, let's have a talk about drones. You know, uh, those guys over there have that other podcast, UAV Digest, of course, and uh, it's always interesting to hear about the challenges and legal challenges that uh, you know a lot of countries seem to be facing when it comes to this and you know how do we regulate these well it turns out that the Civil Aviation Safety Authority or CASA everybody's favourite regulator in this part of the world Grant well it looks like there might be a bit of a challenge going on it may even be that it's unconstitutional for a lot of them to be regulated by CASA now wouldn't that cause a bit of a uh, bit of a stir in the halls of power <laughs> yeah it would be rather interesting uh, UAS International Chairman Ron Barch we've mentioned him a few times in the past he's a bit of a legal boffin on aviation law and uh, he's considering that drones that have electronic fences or G-gates as they're known, which is where the uh, GPS prevents them actually going into uh, areas such as within five nautical miles of an aerodrome or above 400 feet in a populated area, all these kind of things. If you've got a UAS or a UAV that cannot go into those areas because it's prevented, uh, that means that they're not going to do what's called commingle. So they're not going to commingle with other interstate and international aircraft. And that means they're not really going into navigable airspace which means they're not covered by CASA. This is all based on uh, the laws and international obligations uh, from the Chicago Convention. And it means basically that if you're operating a UAV that cannot go into those kind of areas, CASA can't do anything about you. Yeah, now that, of course, doesn't mean that it mightn't violate some uh, individual state laws. We might talk about that in a minute. There's another story there that's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, that, that's got to be an ongoing problem, I think, for as this sort of technology becomes more and more commonplace. Are they going to have to change the laws? And if they do, will they have to change the Constitution? 
constitution here. That means all sorts of headaches, very expensive headaches. In fact, would it require a referendum? I don't really know, but uh, certainly something to keep an eye on. And uh, maybe the guys uh, will cover that uh, at some point in the UAV Digest. Not that we'd like to make work for you or anything, Max and David. Oh, no, no, no. Despite uh, a few uh, people making work for the for CASA and the local police, uh, as, as expected, a whole lot of drones were supplied in Christmas presents and people are discovering the hard way that they shouldn't be flying them near aircraft, airports, above 400 feet, closer than 30 metres from people, vehicles, boats and buildings and all that kind of stuff. And so, of course, we've had uh, a number of CASA warnings go out to people and we've even had a Victorian man fined because uh, he crashed his drone during a police operation in Altona near Melbourne. Um, He was flying a recreational unmanned aerial vehicle and got an $850 Australian fine for flying his drone within 30 metres of people after the drone hit a power line and narrowly missed a police officer. Oh, I think we're getting to the crux of it now. He narrowly missed the police <laughs> officer. I think that's probably. I think that might have been a very, very unhappy senior constable, don't you think, Grant? Oh, I think it was probably a very unhappy operator. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. might have been a $50 drone and a $850 fine. I'll tell you what, he'd be going back to Toys R Us as quick as he can, I reckon. <laughs> I'd say so, but once again, it's uh, as the boys from UAV Digest, have been saying it's really great to see manufacturers putting those notices and boxes with that the drones come in we need to see more of that and i think that is going to start happening here in australia if we're lucky and i should mention grant that those last two articles were by our friend steve creddy in the australian.com.au and they remember how they used to pick on us for using steve creddy articles all the time grant uh, yeah i remember Ah, the good old days. There you go. It's a bit of a flashback. Well, we could drone on and on and on, but we won't uh, do that. <laughs> uh, it's almost as if I pre-planned to use that line. Until next week, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm the in-pain Grant McCarran. <laughs> Cheers, oh, folks. The agony. The agony. He used it. Oh, oh, yeah. I still got it after all these oh, years. There's a presumption there, boy.